you're going to add. The gospel Seriously. isn't about us, right? We didn't say this last night in Philippians 2, but joy, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, <laughs> you, me. Uh, so it's not about us. In fact, it's not even about us or us. Uh, and so before we launch into Philippians 3, I just want to give a shout out to this side of the room. I know we can't even see the lyrics, but we're here, right? Like, I feel like you're my side. Like, yesterday I was like, Carrie, you want to switch sides? Like, no, I got, so this is her side. It's like in a wedding. You're like, you hear the bride, the groom? Like, I love this side. All right. But for real, Carrie's going to do a little recap, kind of bring us back where we've been right here in the middle of the book. And then we're going in. I've got my, literally my running shoes on. Yeah, we're... I picked up Kari's. I went to pick her up. I was like, "What's that lady like walking in the middle of the forest?" Because was 15 minutes late to pick me up, so She's just I started freezing. walking. So I picked her up. She I don't know if he's coming. Hiking boots on. We're good. So where have we been? Okay, so we started out. You guys remember we were talking about the Book of Acts specifically. We looked, kind of focused in a little bit. Paul and Silas in jail. Y'all know by now they were worshiping instead of bickering, and they knew about how to have joy in difficult circumstances. They knew that was such a great word. All of you, amazing. God is so beautifully speaking to you um, that it wasn't about them, right? They weren't moping and waiting for the spiritual high and waiting for the goosebumps. They were like, "We're just gonna praise God while we're in while we're in prison." Then we looked at Philippians one, and we looked at some of the freeing aspects that are. Our growth and sanctification, God's in charge of that. Christ began the work in me. Christ is going to finish the work in me. My job is to fully obey and joyfully submit to God's loving leadership in my life, right? Then we looked at the freedom that others' insides are not my business. So I don't need to manage everyone else. I don't need to manage their motives or their spiritual life. Um, There's freedom from managing other people. And then we looked at the freedom that our brother mentioned that to live is Christ. And so we're freed from the fear of death. We're freed from um, holding life so very dear. And then last night, it's kind of all blurred to me, all these different sessions. But last night, we looked at the humble mindset, right? Joy's humble mindset. And that is, as I think Katie said so beautifully, um, setting other people's interests above our own. And um, I won't share the intricate details of that, but God has, I don't know where you are, sweet pea, that we, Katie, hi. And um, I just so commend you for that heart. I love that. And um, God has done that in my life recently, um, having to set aside grief to serve other people. And it's so hard, but there's so much fruit in it. So I just wanted to personally say that is beautiful, and I commend you. Um, that's a hard lesson, but it's a good, good uh, place of fruitfulness. So, And then we saw the beautiful examples of Paul, of Jesus, of Paul, of Timothy, of Epaphroditus, who willingly laid down their lives and looked out for the interest of others. And um, can I pray for us? Yeah, Do you dive please. in? Okay. Father God, thank you for this book. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for these uh, precious students, these men and women who are hearing from you and who are obeying you and who are um, choosing the narrow road. God, the way is wide and easy that leads to destruction, but the road is narrow that leads to life. And so I thank you so much for these students who are going your way and choosing to enter through that narrow road. I pray that you would help us this morning to uh, make your word clear. Once again, God, help us not to model it up or confuse it. Um, or get in the way in any way, but God help us to point to you 
this morning. Open our eyes and open our hearts to receive the good word you're implanting into our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, Philippians chapter 3. As you may notice, we're in the book of Philippians. We're still at it. And we are now picking up pace. We are almost to the forward, future-oriented part. I'm going to go first because he's dealing with some past-oriented things. That's where I live. Kari's going to take us on. But this is joy's one pursuit. Like that single-minded pursuit that relates to all of our lives. So let's read the first four verses to start. Finally, my brothers... And consequently, sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Like it's helpful. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. All right, let's pause there. Like, what, what are you doing, Paul? So, be happy. It seemed, you know, summarize verse one. Look out for those dogs. I hope they cut themselves off. <laughs> right? Like, hey, wait, wait, wait which, which side are we choosing, Paul? It is a hug and then it is a punch or a kick. Right? It isn't be happy. You know that. Rejoice in the Lord. Right? Being happy is kind of based on our circumstances. Like, how's life? Man, it's, it's actually things are clicking or things are hard right now. And that's an honest thing to ask. We're working through this with our daughters. Like, I want to be authentic. I want to be genuine. So if someone asks me how I'm doing, do I have to tell them everything that's going on in me? It's like, no, no. You serve the other person. They're asking a simple question. That's a great thing that, to know. Right? But everyone pretends they're fine. And he says, rejoice in the Lord. Now, we've said that word many times. It's actually not a religious word, but joy, he uses eight times. Uh, rejoice, almost as many times. It's, it's kind of a theme, right? We're saying it's the theme, the path to joy. In fact, there is one path to joy. It's not choose your own adventure. You don't get to go up different ways up the ascent. There is one path to joy. And he's going to actually show us the one path. And you're like, I thought the one path was humility. The one path is humility through this specific path, this specific trail that he's going to take. Now, to, to rejoice in the Lord, the word rejoice comes similar from, it's from the cognate on grace. It literally means to lean toward grace. Because you could lean towards all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Lean towards status. Mm -hmm. He's going to get there in a second. Lean towards hardship. Mm -hmm. He's been there. He's in that. Lean towards community. And then everyone's gone like, oh, I'm so lonely at this moment. You could lean towards anything. Lean towards grace. And when you rejoice in the Lord, you say, the grace that I have in my life isn't just the grace that I give myself or the grace extended from others, the kindness, the mercy. It is the grace that I get from God. That he treats me better than I deserve, contrary to what I deserve, and this is good. And so he's saying you can find any way 
to rejoice in the Lord. Now, when he says finally, he's not saying these are the last words I'm going to share, right? He's not the typical pastor like I'm halfway done and I say finally. He's, he's saying ultimately, supremely, you need to rejoice in the Lord. Now, over against that is this group of people that he's now going to talk about. And it's puzzling at first because you're like, wait a second, you, you said you didn't care what other people's motives were. These are people who do not give good news. They give self news. No, 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 you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You need to do it this way. Now, there in Philippi, as with literally every other place that Paul, Timothy, Silas, Barnabas, all of them on their missionary journeys went, they went there. They were there a few weeks, like in Thessalonica. They were there a few years, like in Ephesus and other places, right behind them, on their coattails, almost like waiting, like where is, when is the Airbnb available? And going in, they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's great that Paul said that. I mean, who is Paul? I mean, really, come on. And they would subvert everything that he had said. And the recency bias, not a new thing, like, oh, yeah, actually. And they would commend themselves. Hey, we're smarter than him. We're better looking than him. We've got more charisma than him. And they would basically turn it all about self. And Paul says, they're dogs. Now, not like, like we had, we had a dog recently. We rehomed it because, you know, it was better for that dog. But I'm a dog person. Kari's not a dog person. But like people who love dogs, you love dogs, right? Any dog people? Okay. Oh okay. okay. All right. You're just like, and so someone's like, what's oh the deal with pets? Like, why does anyone have pets? And you're like, you don't even have a soul. What are you talking about? <laughs> right? We live in Oregon. When we wanted to have more kids, so there's a decade gap between our second and third born. People are like, just get a dog. Like, what, like I mean, it, you know, like why have more kids? You know, Adults said that, All right? He's not talking about, oh, beware of those pets, you know, they're kind of, you know, territorial. He's saying there were no pets back then. Wild dogs, wolves. They pretend to be among us. They pretend to be like us, but they do this out of selfish gain, out of conceit. In fact, they harm you. And Paul is like, I wish they just harmed themselves. Now, specifically what they would do is they would say, if you want to really follow Jesus and be right with God, you need to become like us, and then we'll help you eventually become like Jesus. Follow me. You need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. Now, they worked through that. We talked about that the first session. Like, they worked through that. Like, no, no, you don't actually. You have no history with God. You don't have to go through all of this old stuff. And they were called, in other places like Galatians, they're called the Judaizers. And so, man my age, you come to Jesus, and they'd be like, you need to be circumcised. And you're like, are you going to talk about that? Yes. I still have no idea how they knew everyone was circumcised. I don't know how, like, oh, you can't come to church. Like, it just blows my mind. But, but it's this status, okay? Now we think it's just a medical thing, like here or there. But then it was like a status, a religious symbol. And it was given by God. You're different and distinct from all the people, but you do it because I chose you and I save you. And then you do this sign. Okay. And Paul is going to say, we don't hope in it. We don't hope in that. In fact, all along the Old Testament prophets, God was like, I want to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. I want you to get right in your heart and your attitudes and your sincerity. I'm not worried about your body as much. Your insides, 
So they mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. So he sidesteps them real quick. He's like, they're terrible. Don't listen to them. I wish they cut themselves off. But we are the circumcision who worshiped by the Spirit of God. I love that word. Like, thank you, God, for acknowledging we are worshipers. Everyone is a worshiper. Especially, now everyone equally, especially those who don't believe in God. Right? Because everyone worships something. And you generally worship yourself. And he's saying they worship themselves. We are the ones who actually worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, boast in him, and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, one of their tactics would be like, well, does Paul really, does he really have the credentials to lead you in God? And so they would undermine it. And so Paul's like, if we got to play this game, mm -hmm. I'm down. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. You think you're better than other people. Mm -hmm. If you want to go that way, mm -hmm. I'm better than you. What? Are you allowed to do that? That's not the whole passage, but that's the next part of the passage. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. Right? He had an impressive beginning of life. Born into the right family, the right pedigree, religiously, of the people of Israel. He's one of the chosen. Of the tribe of Benjamin. The first king is of the tribe of Benjamin. All those warriors, those left-handed warriors from the, you know, read about in the kings, tribe of Benjamin. Right there from near Judah. A Hebrew of Hebrews. Pure-blooded. Mm -hmm. National pride. Mm -hmm. He is a Hebrew supremacist. He's all for his nation. He flies the flag. As to the law, as to the standard, I'm a Pharisee. Like, I lived better. I lived better than Jesus. What? That's what he's saying. As to zeal, like, was I passionate about this? I persecuted the church. Like, I was guarding God's turf. And maybe you know Paul's story. And as to righteousness under the law, rightness, blameless. He's doing everything right in his life. And so most of us don't have his exact same. He lists six, seven, eight things. Most of you don't have that exact same thing. He's the only one that, with this exact resume. And that's kind of the point. But everyone has a resume. Everyone's trying to do it. It's basically status. Mm -hmm. What is your status? And is your hope in your status? Right? Is your hope in your Good looks or your family or family of origin, where you came from, where you're going, your ambitions, that you always did everything right. Now, I don't have a story of growing up in a faithful, you know, home, doing all the right things in church. Like sometimes when we sing songs, like I don't even know these songs. Like I didn't grow up with these. These are amazing. I love it. I'm writing them down. It's like you're the pastor. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to tell a little bit of my story in a second. But basically, Paul's thing is, I'm better than other people. And that's how I relate, right? As a good student, above average athlete, right? Good enough looking to like, you know, whatever, get through, get through things. Witty in class. Right? Had a girlfriend, you know, high school, into college, engineering student, 
All of these things that I put my hope in. When I was 16, God broke my back. I literally broke a vertebrae in my back that has since been healed miraculously a few years ago. But I walked with crippling pain all the time. And, but God took away sports. And then I got that first B in college. God took away that you're actually not smarter than these other people. In fact, you're not even nearly as smart as them, right? You're not as attractive as all these other people. And I came to God with a need, right? I thought it was my broken back that I needed him and that kind of, keep, kind of kept him at bay. And there's, and I get nervous every time I share this because I'm standing next to my wife. But I had to become recycled as a physical being, right? That I'd given myself, not in intimacy, but in sexuality to others. And my need was, I thought my girlfriend was pregnant. And I was wrecked. And what am I going to do? And how am I going to manage this? And I, I can't be a dad and all this stuff. And God worked it out. She wasn't. But that was the scare that I need, needed. I, it woke me up. And I went to a retreat like this. Instead of hangout time, it was all basketball. That was like perfectly catered for me. Like, God is so good. And that's all we did. Basketball and talk through life. Basketball, talk through life. Eat pancakes. You know, back and forth. Back and forth. I don't think she showered. And, and of course, and, and I realized that basically my whole life was, I'm not as bad as these other people. Yeah. I'm just better than them. And it's pride. And my main sin was pride. And that's falling apart because I have no control over my life. So I had a need. That's why I brought him, fix my problem, right? But I really had an identity problem. My whole self was rooted in who I, who I was and who per, people perceived me to be, right? Always feeling awkward in social situations. Always feeling like I can't quite fit, fit in, even though I was an athlete and a nerd and I don't know how those mix, right? You know, from, from a known, known family in my hometown. But I really had an idolatry problem. And everyone comes with those three problems. And Paul has described basically that. I had a need. A lot of other places he talked about his need was coveting. He knew that he was a coveter. He's like, oh, I can't change this about me. I knew I couldn't change this about me. I couldn't change my circumstances. I couldn't change my heart. I have an identity problem and an idolatry problem. I am worshiping a vision of myself. And in many cases, the future that my family had envisioned for me that I would go do that. And I had to come clean with that. And I had to be honest about that. And it went from being these secret things that I'd hold on to now privately disclosed with others, but really it was taking it to God and being honest that I tried to be a good Christian, but I'm not. I'm not even good. I'm not a good Christian. I'm not even a Christian. And so what does Paul do with this? He makes a determined calculation. He lists his whole resume, which frankly is way better than mine and yours. And what does he say? But what, verse 7, but whatever I had, whatever gain I had, whatever status I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. These things are actually working against my knowing God. 
because I'm hoping in them rather than hoping in Christ, who has a greater resume. He fulfilled all of this and more. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And he's leading them away from religion or what I grew up with, not, not really that, past that to good news, to joy in God. Because religion says, if I obey, if I obey my culture, or I obey my parents, or I obey what I think is God, I will finally be accepted. I'll finally have a status. I'll finally have confidence. But you'll never get there. You'll never arrive. All of the religions and the philosophies which are forms of religion, you never arrive, you never get there, you have to explain it away. But the gospel, the good news, is because you are accepted in Christ, you get to now obey him. His commands are now enabled in your life because you are accepted, and you live out that acceptance because you know him, you get to live that out. Remember when I first started sharing my story, I, worked, I was in a fraternity, I worked with Greek students in a Bible study for many years. I was like, should I just move out of this place? And God told me to stay. And most of the time I would counsel people, not carte blanche, but on one-on-one, I was like, you know, it looks like you need to, you need to find a new path here. But I stayed. And, and people, my nickname in college was Jack, and, and guys would be like, freshmen would be like, I heard stories about you are these real? And it's like, sit down, have lunch, or coffee, or whatever, and sit and talk. And I was like, actually, I wasn't as bad as you think. <laughs> but I certainly wasn't as good. I'm not as good as you think now. It is about Christ, mm -hmm. right? And lead them to Jesus, not to self. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is there anything from my testimony that you wanted to make sure I... No, no. Okay. Usually she's sitting in front of me. I take off my glasses. She's the only person I can see, and she's nodding. Or oh, she's at like, church, yeah. I'm like... Like this. <laughs> like, oh, I have no idea where you're going here. Um, but I don't live for your approval, but I enjoy the camaraderie here. Uh, uh, right? And at first, when you hear this, it just seems like, oh, why have been I been working so hard to prove myself? Because <laughs> that's kind of how we're wired, right? Is, is, the, is the other path just like doing nothing, apathy? That's no good. But being found in him, that's where he goes. That's where his wording is. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on on faith. God will declare you righteous, not because of the good works you've done, or even just despite the bad you've done. He forgives it because of who Jesus is and what he has done. You are no longer your past. You are no longer your past, whether that's a good past. You're no longer your past, whether that's a terrible past and you're ashamed of it. You are now in Christ. You are his past, his presence, his future. This is good news. This is good news for angst-ridden kids, right? And adults, and adult kids. And he offers that to us. That I may know him, 
and the power of his resurrection. Do you know that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose again to the glory of the Father? I mean, you're so bad that he had to die, right? But he's so loving that he, he was glad to die. But that's not the end of the story. He's not hanging on the cross, hanging, you know, that we have around our neck. He's, he's risen. Why? Because God the Father approved what he did. And gave him a name, a status that is above every name. And so now longer, I, I no longer have to prove myself. I can live in the, the approval of the one who has proven it. And I can live that out. And this affects how you relate to people in your job. I know not everyone's a college student. If you're in sales, you can be like, how can I bless and honor this person, God? And would you bring me the right amount of sales that I need? Because I got a quota. This affects how you do carpentry, how you do real estate. You're a new and different person because you're now blameless in Christ. You walk into a room already having approval, right? Because he's walked into that room. We sang, right? He walks in the room, everything changes. Not when you walk in the room. <laughs> that will get old real quick. Even if you're attractive and everything, you'll get really aged. It won't happen. He walks into a room ahead of you or alongside of you. He changes everything. So no longer you, have to, you don't have to be impressive anymore. You don't have to have, a, have an impressive a beginning. You don't have an impressive story. Hopefully, Carter will at some point, maybe tomorrow, share our story, our love story, which is like, you never want this to be your love story. Um, but it's like part of our story all the time. Like we can't tell our, like our kids will now tell the story. And it's like, it's so unimpressive. Like that's, oh, I don't have to be impressive anymore. Jesus impressed the Father for me. And this is where, I just, I need things really summarized well. Who's before dues? Mm -hmm. I use this in a church all the time. What do I say? Who's? And they're like, before dues. And the who's lead to dues. What I mean is, who God is, what he's done, who we are, now leads to what we do. It's not the other way around. I'm accepted in him. And so that's why he can then go, becoming like him, or sorry, that I may may know him and the power of his resurrection. Paul's still going after this. He wants to know the power of, of Jesus' resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul is so full of hope. He is so full of confidence in God that he has no more confidence in himself, but he's not worried about that. He's not, you know, oh my gosh, I'm going to mess up. He knows that there is confidence in the future that God has for him and through him to others. So we got our running shoes on. We know who we are and our identity. What do we do? Oh, I love hearing your story. Uh, I was going to say when I first met Jeff, I was a freshman, and uh, well, just just briefly, I'm not I'm not getting off track here. We're still going forward, but just I was a freshman. It was my first time going to real life. At that point, um, it was Campus Crusade and Real Life were together, so we called the crew. First time going, I'm like, fine. My roommate wanted me to go, and um, so I go. And Jeff was the MC. I remember sitting there. He was wearing. Um, let me get it right. Wide whale corduroy pleated wide whale corduroy which is probably back in style now. I don't even know, right? I can't keep track, but pleated wide whale corduroy cuffed with running shoes and maybe a rugby. 
Oh, she definitely a rugby. Probably, with the... probably with the collar that's jank. Um, yeah, and I, but I remember like I remember looking at him like that's the kind of guy my mom would want me to marry. And I was like, <laughs> and bless your soul. And she and did. You know what? Four years later, we got married. So, um, yeah. Um, but I will tell you this. You know what stood out to me about him? He always had his Bible with him. Constantly. And it was falling apart. I mean, it was like, you know, smeared and dirty and the pages were ragged because he was constantly in the word. And I was so impressed by many things, but... Um, Clearly, I wanted to impress he, you. Not as much by his fashion sense, but everything else about him was amazing. So, um, guys, take note. All right. So... We are, I love you. Yeah, yeah, we'll talk about later. Yeah, keep moving. This is me. Keep moving forward. Don't look back. Keep moving forward. Okay, so verse 12. He is going to turn now from looking behind him, and now he's going, all right, so it's not about all that stuff in my past. Now we are moving forward. And he says, not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And here's what I love about Paul. I love that Paul is so confident, even though, of course, he recognizes he's not perfect. He does not let the fact that he's still in progress keep him from being bold in Jesus. Okay? When we, when we, are, when we see the work of Christ as big and our stuff as small, we have confidence. Right? It's like, Jesus began a work in me. Jesus is going to finish the work in me. I'm not finished, but let's go. Right? When it's all about us and Christ's work is small and our bit part is big, then we're constantly feeling insecure because I don't know, who, who am I? I love that you guys came up and shared those words. Right? The enemy would want to keep us insecure. Well, who are you to tell them anything from God? You know that you're not perfect. You're, you're absolutely right. Right? Agree with Satan and move on. I'm not perfect. But God is good, and God uses jars of clay to shine forth his glory. So the sooner that I get over myself, right? That doesn't mean that we ignore gross sin. But the sooner that I can get over myself and just let Christ shine through, that's what Paul's doing. He's like, I, I get it. I'm not perfect. But you know what? I press forward. That's what he's saying. I press on. He is aware of his faults and his weaknesses, but he doesn't let that paralyze him. You guys, you know this. This is the dude that was standing there overseeing the death of the first martyr. Right? He was the one who was standing there overseeing the death of Stephen. Do you think that he has a past that he's ashamed of? Yeah. Right? Whatever baggage you come in here with, like, oh man, if people knew that about me, they wouldn't even be... You probably haven't killed anyone. I mean, maybe. But even so, if you have, you are still welcome here. Right? You are still welcome. He has stuff in his past. And he's saying, I'm not going to let that paralyze me. That is not who I am. I am pressing forward. I'm pressing on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Now, your translation might be a little bit different. This is kind of a, a, a awkward uh, phrase because the words for I press on to make it my own that's the same word so literally it says I uh, seize or make mine what Christ 
makes his, right? So it's kind of a, an odd thing, but I wanted to read you this little excerpt from a, a commentary I enjoy. And he says, he's saying that he is trying to grasp that for which he has been grasped by Jesus Christ. That is a wonderful thought. Paul felt that when Jesus Christ stopped him on the Damascus road, you remember when he, became, when he was saved, Jesus Christ had a dream and a vision and a purpose for which he grasped Paul. And Paul felt that all his life he was bound to press on lest he disappoint Jesus and fail Jesus and frustrate the dream and the purpose for which Jesus had grasped him. Every man, every woman is grasped by Christ for some purpose. Every man is a dream of Jesus. And therefore, every man must all his life press on so that he may grasp and realize that dream and that purpose for which Christ grasped him. I love that the brother read uh, Ephesians 2.10, right? What does it say? It says, for we have been saved that God, God has good works prepared in advance that we would walk in them. This is hugely freeing. This tells me that the good stuff in my future that God wants me to do, he has already laid out for me, right? It's already set and it is not my job to go out and just be as awesome as I have to be or I want to be. My job is to walk in the good works that God has prepared for me. I heard a great story. I actually haven't seen the video, but um, I heard a great story about Michael Jackson and one of his music videos, yes. And the story was that uh, basically, you know, Michael Jackson's an amazing dancer. And in this music video, they had the lights, they had squares on the floor, and the certain squares would light up as he stepped on them, right? So he's dancing and he's doing his thing, and it's all choreographed ahead of time, of course. And so he has to dance, and as he dances, all the lights light up. Well, Michael Jackson is doing his thing, and he's just going crazy and dancing like nuts because that's what he does. And the producers of the video had to say, look, we know you're Michael Jackson, we know you're awesome, and we know you can do all things. <laughs> However, these certain squares are pre-lit. So you have to step on the squares that are pre-lit or they're not going to light up for you. So you're gonna need to rein in all your awesomeness and step on the squares that are already lit for you, right? Kind of silly, but it's a picture for me of like, your job is not to go out in the world and show off all your awesomeness, right? Your job is to step on the squares that are pre-lit by God for you. That's when it's gonna work, right? To find out, God, I want to go in the good works that you have prepared for me. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. He says again, I understand, I haven't arrived. I'm not, I haven't got this all figured out. But one thing I do, right? This is the secret. He's saying, you know what? Let me tell you my secret. I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed by the fact that I haven't arrived or by my past. Let me tell you what I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He says, this is the secret. Forget the past and strain forward. Like I said, Paul is not dwelling on past failures. He is not living in the scene of seeing Stephen die right before his eyes. He's not living there. Of course he's remorseful. Of course he regrets that. But he is moving past that. Similarly, he's not dwelling on his past successes. Like Jeff shared. 
He's not gaining his identity on his past successes. This is actually, I think, a more subtle form of dwelling on our past. We talk about dwelling on our past failures, but sometimes we can, without realizing it, dwell on our past successes. Glory days. Kind of rest on that, right? Well, because I did this thing, that means I'm mature. Or because I went on this mission trip, that means I, whatever it is, right? That is also a great danger. Honestly, that is my, if there is a fear and trepidation in my heart, that would be where my fear is. I'm super grateful to have been um, speaking to groups for 12 years, and I'm very grateful. I've had hundreds of blessed opportunities to do that. In the very beginning, you're scared to death, right? Because I guess they say public speaking is the number one fear, like more than death. I don't understand that, but you guys all do a great job up here. But that can be scary. But after a while, you get more used to it. And that's good because you know God's faithfulness, but there is at every turn a danger. There's a difference between faith and presumption, right? Faith says, I know God is faithful and he loves you and he loves me. So he's going to meet with us. Presumption said, yeah, well, that's fine. I've been here before. I did this. I'm a speaker. Right. And that is the, the, the very sickest, most disgusting form of pride. And I know with every part of my being that the moment we start that, God will pull the rug out. I'm, I'm like, just like, so anyway, as you walk in life, like as God is faithful to you, you will feel some of that joy of those successes, if you will. But at every turn, there's that danger. God, I don't want to walk in presumption. I want to walk in knowing that at any moment I could fall on my face, but you're faithful and you carry me. And that's what Paul is doing, right? Just as Paul is not dwelling on what he's done, as we discussed, he's also not dwelling on what's been done to him. And we shared a little bit about that in chapter one, right? He's not sitting there going, let me tell you about all the bad things that have happened to me. And now I'm in jail and I was beaten and all of these things. And, and I think that and I say this very carefully because there is a healthy place in processing and working through the things that we've experienced in our past, but that can go on forever. Like we can, we can process, again, please hear my heart. We can process our childhood forever. I mean, you can always find more hurts. You can always find more ways that you've been slighted or that this has been painful. And it's great to work through some of those, but there's, there's sort of a movement out there in Christianity too that can, it's just like endless self-introspection. Endless digging into farther and farther and farther into self and it doesn't bring freedom. It brings more and more self. Paul doesn't do any of that. He's like, you know what? I'm moving on. I'm going forward. There's things that are painful. I understand. I had a great talk with someone yesterday that had such a clear understanding of how her past was shaping her future, but she wasn't stuck in her past. She was moving forward. I was like, yes, you have such a healthy understanding of this. It was awesome. He's moving forward. So let's not get stuck in our endless introspection. And he says, instead, he says, I'm straining forward. I press toward the goal, forgetting what lies behind, and straining forward to what lies ahead. This word straining forward is the only time in the New Testament that it's used. And it's a word that, that literally is the picture of at the very end of a race, when the racers are lean, you know, desperately leaning through the tape, 
trying to win. That last final grasp straining forward. That's the picture that he gives us of what's happening. And I would just note in here as well that um, this run, this strain is not a sprint, right? It's not, this is a marathon if there was ever a marathon. Jeff does uh, triathlons, which is crazy. He does sprint ones, he does Olympic ones, he does the half Ironman, he's done marathons. So I understand the difference watching that pace. It's a very different pace. You need to understand at the onset, how far am I going? We're going lifelong, right? Quite honestly, just to be frank with you, my goal for you is not that as much that you're on fire right now, but that you stay the course your whole life long. My prayer is that every single one of you in this room, sorry, if you like a crying mom, that every single one of you in this room, I was just praying over you this morning while we were sitting there, that not one would be lost. That every single one of you would be faithful all the way until the day you go into glory, however many years that is. If you are faithful your whole life, I'm like, win. That's a win. Because at our age, we see people dropping off left and right. Left and right, people are dropping off. And I'm like, stay the course. This is a long term. That's also sort of my temperament, just to clue you in. I'm totally, I'm a plotter. I am, I'm not really amazing at anything, but I can do the same thing every day forever. That's my spiritual gift, right? Just stay in the core. Consistency would be a, a good word for it. I'm like, I just do the same She's thing. So um, but but I, I, I had a wonderful Christian home growing up, but I never, I never read my Bible. Somehow I completely missed the memo that you're supposed to read your Bible. Never read my Bible. I mean, I'm telling you, like in high school, I don't think I knew the difference between the Old Testament and New Testament. Okay, so I knew nothing. Went to college. And I so clearly remember, it was the end of 1998, and I uh, picked up this book, and I was reading, and there was just this little throwaway sentence in there. It was a book by Anne Ortland, who's in glory now. And she said that she just read through the Bible every year. She's like, oh yeah, four chapters a day. It's about 30 minutes. I read through the Bible every year. And I remember, to me, it was like the heavens opening. I was like, read through the Bible every year. It's like four chapters a day. I can read four chapters a day. Like, that doesn't even take very long. I have 20 minutes. And I remember thinking, if God gave me even any sort of length of life, I could read through the Bible 50, 60 times? Like, how would the trajectory of my life change if I read through the Bible 60 times or 70 times? Like, that blew my mind. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. Start that day. Every year, I'm just going to read cover to cover through the Bible. I'm in Revelation. I'm just about to finish my 21st time reading through the Bible. And that's not to go, oh, look at me, 21 times. That's to tell you that God's word has been more constant in my life than anything else. Longer than we've been married. Longer than I've been a mom. Longer than anything else I've done. God's word has been the constant daily companion, daily washing my brain, daily conforming me into his image. If there is anything you take away, and I'm sure this is preaching to the choir, you're probably already reading your Bibles. Read through God's word. Even just the New Testament, if you do one chapter a day, you read through the New Testament in a year. 
If you did that every year, the trajectory of your life would be set toward Christ. He changes us. And it's not about the goosebumps every morning. I'll tell you, I'm like, I'm in Ezekiel right now. And I'm like, I don't even know. Like some days I'm like, I don't know what you're saying, but I believe you, God, help me. And I'm drinking my coffee. I'm like, glory to God. Okay, next. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like not every day is like, whoa, it's amazing word from the Lord. But you just stay the course. And you never know when he's going to break in and give you that word. Okay? So it is a marathon. It is a long haul. And he says, verse 14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of Christ Jesus. Now, what is this prize? I don't know exactly. But there's going to be a reward. Is it going to be worth it? Yeah. In the end, when we are in eternity, will it be worth it? All of the effort and all of the energy that we put into following Jesus, it's going to be worth it. God speaks very clearly in the scriptures about reward, right? Romans 8, 18 says, the suffering that we experience right now is nothing to be compared with the weight of glory that we will experience in eternity. He's saying, if you put these things on a scale, the suffering of having to follow Jesus, the hard things you're gonna have to get up, give up, and you put the weight of glory that you're going to experience for all of eternity, not even worthy. He goes, don't even compare it. Don't even put them in the same sentence. Not even worthy to be compared. So do I know what that looks like? I don't, but it's going to be worth it. That prize is going to be worth it. It's an investment. Right? If I told you, today I want you to give me $500, and in 10 years I will give you $5,000, would you do it? I hope so. It's a good investment, right? We hope to double our money every seven years. No, I mean, rule of 70. Right. Yes, yeah, right. yeah, right? That's a great investment. That investment in eternity is a million times that. It's a little longer to wait, right? It's a little more uh, ambiguous for us, but that investment is actually more secure than any investment you'll make on earth. It's more of a promise. It's more guaranteed. He says, verse 15, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anyone, if any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you. I love Paul, by the way. This is so great that he's like, and by the way, if you don't agree, God will correct you later. He's just like, I'm not even going to worry about that. You'll come along in time, right? He's like, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to mess with this. And then he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. He's saying, hold fast to what you already have. Oh my goodness, I'm running out of time. I'm so sorry, I talk so much. Okay, he's saying, hold on to what you have. Don't give up what you have. And then he gets into, we'll, we'll finish here quickly, I promise. He says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. This is fascinating to me. He is actually saying... I want you to look at godly people. I want you to follow godly people. So much in our day, we're like, don't compare yourself to anybody. You just be you and don't ever compare yourself to anyone. Yes, don't compare ourselves to anyone in pride and competition. But Paul is actually saying, once you get rid of all the pride and competition, you should look at those. Learn from people. Yes, as we've talked about in our women's group all the time. If we can get over feeling threatened by each other, then we can actually learn from each other. 
If I see someone who, who is strong in an area, my initial reaction is not, oh no, I'm such a loser. It's, hey, can you tell me how you got to this point? Can you give me some of your wisdom? Right, that's a, that's a, that's a spirit of humility. Oh, I don't always have that, but that spirit of humility says, I wanna learn from you. He says, imitate those. I was so grateful to be discipled by a godly woman. I just wanna share this very briefly. When I came to college again, I had never read my Bible, and I went to a little small group at a friend's uh, apartment at uh, Campus Villa. What they're called? Yeah. Campus Villa, they still have they those? They probably tore uh, Yeah, it's probably. And, uh, but I remember this girl, she stood up and she shared her testimony and she said, she was talking about someone who discipled her. And I had never heard the word disciple as a verb, ever, okay? I thought a disciple was a person who followed Jesus. And she was using the disciple as a verb, something you do to someone. And I was like, that's amazing. What a great idea. I want that. I want to, I want to have that done. To, I don't know what it means, but I want to have it done to me. So I tried to think and I was like, okay, who is like the godliest person that I know? And I thought of this woman who was probably five years older than me. She was already married, had some little kids, lived in my hometown. I wasn't anywhere near there. Didn't have phones back then. Didn't even have email other than tele, what's it called? Yeah, Pine, anyway. Yeah. So I wrote her a letter, like with a stamp. <laughs> yes. I know. I wrote, her a, I wrote her a letter. Wrote her a letter and I said, hi, um, I know you don't know me very well. We lived in the same town. She didn't know me. I know you don't know me very well. Um, this is exactly what my letter said. Um, I found out about this thing called being discipled. Um, I don't know what this means, but would you do that to me? <laughs> Love, Kari. Like, literally, that was what I wrote to her. I'm like, uh, so can you just do this to me? And so a couple weeks later, she wrote back this long letter and she said, I would love to do that, but only on the stipulation that we are just friends. I would love to be your friend, and I would love to help you along the path to Jesus. Yeah. And I am still in contact with her 20 years later, and uh, she's been a huge part of my life, but we're friends that is intentionally pointing each other toward Jesus. That's what discipleship is. Yeah. Intentional relationship, and that's what he's saying. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm running hard toward Jesus. You get alongside me and run with me, right? And if I have any way that I can help you, I'll help you. And if you have some way that you can help me, you help me, right? We will run that race together. Mindy and I ran that race together for many years while we were at Oregon State. She's a sweet friend. Um, imitate godly people. And then he says, for let me tell you, he goes, imitate these godly people. Why? Because there are many who are not following Christ. He says, for many of whom I have often told you, for many, comma, sorry, of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. It's easy to gloss over this. Paul is crying. The great apostle Paul, who is like rock solid, is crying as he writes this. He's not crying that he's in prison. He's not crying because his life has been hard. He's not crying because of the things that are done for him. He is crying because he is brokenhearted at those who do not know Christ. He's brokenhearted over the brokenness of the world. And that is, and I'm sure you know this, just to be aware that following Jesus leads to a broken heart. 
at some point, you, your heart will break for the wrongs and the injustices and the sorrows that you see in this world. And there's no way around it. It's good. It's how God made us to be, right? I was sitting back there again during worship and it just, I wanted to give you guys a quick charge. I didn't plan on doing this, but, um, you know, I meet with women who are in their late 30s and they're farther along in life. And of course, I meet with many of the ones who are having hard times. And so I hear so many stories about faithless men. And I just want to charge you to stay the course. The sooner you can get free of your stuff or addictions or selfishness, the sooner you will be free to love and serve your spouse or your family or this world. And as I was sitting back there, I love seeing you guys worship and I love seeing you men worship. Like to me, see the Bible says, men lift up holy hands. When I see you men worshiping God and I hear your voices behind me, I'm like, yes, this is what you were made for. And I would just plead with you, I'm praying for you that every single one of you stays the course and that you are faithful husbands and faithful dads and faithful businessmen and faithful pastors, whatever you're called to be, that you would be faithful your whole life long. Because this is what breaks Paul's heart, that they are enemies of the cross. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. What does that mean? That means that their appetites rule them. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That means that food and sex and sleep and pleasure and comfort and all the stuff that the world says is what you have to have. That's their God. Their God is their earthly, fleshly appetites. Their passions. Really weird side note, but just an interesting note. Every time in the New Testament where he uses the word passion, it's not a good thing. And we throw around that word. The good word would be zeal, right? And I, and I get, I'm speaking at a conference next weekend for leaders and the theme of the whole weekend is passion. <laughs> so I understand we use that to mean godly zeal. But in the scriptures, when he's talking about passions, he's like, don't follow your passions. Patience, patience is where it's at. Faithfulness is where it's at. Humility is where it's at. I'm like, when was the last time you heard of a patience conference? Hey, you guys, let's go to the Patience Conference. No. There's no hype. No. When is it? It's going to be a while. Yeah. <laughs> Sign up now. I'm in. It's Very nicely done. If I had a little boom, boom, boom. Right? But that's not, we don't have faithfulness conferences or patience conferences. We don't have humility conferences. Because we're so, it's our appetites and our passions and our goosebumps and our feelings. And I love the word our sister shared, I don't remember your name, but that you shared like, that it's not about us. Faithfulness is what he's saying. Their God is their bellies, their, their minds are unearthly things. But he says, but our citizenship is in heaven. Right? And we'll, we'll, I'll stop here. Our citizenship is, where do we belong? In heaven. Who do we act like? What it's like in heaven? What do we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven? 
Our, your, your opportunity that you have is to be, he's speaking about this because uh, Philippi was a Roman colony. So it looked like Rome. He's saying, I want you to be a heavenly colony on the OSU campus or Applegate, wherever you are, you are a heavenly colony meant to look like heaven, meant to look like Jesus. Wherever you are, you are a taste of heaven for the world who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. He's saying, press on. God has laid hold of you, lay hold, press on toward what he has purchased for you. Amen? Okay. Father, thank you for these, again, these precious people. God, thank you for their patience with us as we have say a lot of things and I just pray that if there's anything that we have said that is not of you that you would strike it from the record and make us forget it forever and if there is anything that we have said that is of you and especially your word I pray that it would haunt us I pray that it would echo in our hearts I pray that we would think about it as we sleep as we rise that it would continue with us and that we would be faithful God I pray again for every person in this room that we would walk with you all the days of our life that we would stay the course all the way to the end, that you would keep us and that you would hold us and that you would guide us. I pray that you would bless these men and women for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.